Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. There's a big push for businesses and Connecticut residents to go green when it comes to their electricity needs. We talked to the Connecticut Green Bank and a local business about going solar, what it costs and whether it's for everyone. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. The way we get our energy to run businesses and our homes in the state needs to change if we're to combat climate change. In fact, Connecticut has set itself targets to reach in the next 20 to 30 years to reduce its carbon footprint and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, all part of Connecticut's climate commitment. But just how easy and affordable is it to say change from your traditional electricity supply from one of the state's providers to more green energy production like solar? If you use social media, you might have seen lately a lot of adverts aimed at Connecticut residents to move to solar energy. But can we trust what we're seeing on these platforms? And more importantly, if we can, what's the cost to change over? I spoke with the Connecticut Green Bank, the nation's first green bank, established by the Connecticut General Assembly in July 2011. The Green Bank supports the governor's and legislators' energy strategy to achieve cleaner, less expensive and more reliable sources of energy while creating jobs and supporting local economic development. And joining me on Connecticut East this week from the Connecticut Green Bank is Sarah Pine and Bill Colonis. To you both, thank you. Thank you. Bill, I want to turn to you first. There's been a lot of advertising recently of solar, certainly on social media. And of course, war is being told, be mindful about stuff that you see on social media and do your due diligence. You know, what is the situation with, with solar at the moment? And what should we be doing when we do see these sort of adverts? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Brian. I'd be real cautious on the advertisements you see on Facebook and other social media platforms. While they may be valid, there also may be unscrupulous people trying to kind of bring you into something that you might not have a full understanding of. What I would suggest to homeowners in Connecticut is going to our webpage at gosolarct.com. And there you can find a lot of great information on the whole process of getting residential solar or solar PV on your home. There is a lot of resources there. You could spend a few minutes or, or an hour or more really digging into details that you're not really going to see on any advertisement. We're all familiar with what advertisements can do, but I really want homeowners to kind of dig in and do their homework and research it as best they can at that webpage. And of course, they can speak with me or Sarah or others here at the Green Bank to help facilitate and understand what they're getting into. Sarah, I want to put this question to you. Um, I didn't realize until, until I started looking at this that there are several ways that people can go when it comes to residential solar, something called homeowner purchase, a solar lease, 
or a power purchase agreement. Can you just talk us through, I know that they're big topics, but could you just like maybe talk us through each of those briefly? Sure. So like you said, there, there are a few different financing options. The homeowner purchase, it sounds exactly like it is. It's the homeowner purchasing the system. This could be out of pocket or using a loan product. We have a, a loan product called the Smarty Loan, which can help homeowners finance solar. That's where the homeowner is actually owning the system. The next two financing options I'll talk about are the lease and the power purchase agreement. The power purchase agreement is also known as a a PPA. Those are third-party owned models where the homeowner is either paying a, a monthly lease price or they're paying per kilowatt hour on the power purchase agreement. The system owner in that case is a a third party and some homeowners tend to like the third party option because they don't want to have to worry about maintenance or anything like that with the homeowner purchase option. That being said, homeowner purchase options do come with different warranties and and maintenance options, but usually with a, a lease or a power purchase agreement, those maintenance agreements are, are pretty clear, clearly defined in those contracts. Let's just dig into these a little bit more then just for uh, for the sake of the people that are listening. So the homeowner purchase, like you said, is exactly as it sounds. But this one is the most expensive option, isn't it? Because you're effectively, even if you, you get a loan, I mean, either way, you're having to pay for it. I mean, this could be anywhere between what, $20,000, $30,000, depending on the size of your house. And I mean, and those are just sort of like broad figures. So you really want to be looking at that as, a, as an investment if you're going to go down the homeowner purchase route, yeah? Yeah, so there are a a few factors that that go into what would increase the price or decrease the price on a purchase system. It does depend on the size of the system. It could depend on different rooftops that the solar system is going to be installed on. It could depend on, you know, the, the pitch of the roof. If it's a really steep roof, it might take longer to physically install. There are different types of inverters and modules, um, so the actual physical equipment. Some homeowners are getting interested in in battery storage, and so that could increase the the price of a a system as well. Let me just pick up on that, and maybe, you know, Bill, if Bill wants to come in on this as well. This is an interesting thing that you've just mentioned about battery storage, because, again, I was always under the impression that, you know, if I got a solar system for my house, that, you know, once the electricity went out, there was, you know, power there as a backup. Now, is that not the case? That's correct, Ryan. If you purchase or, or lease a solar PV system for your home and the grid goes out, so there's a blackout or whatever the, the cause might be, your solar PV system will not provide electricity because it's a safety feature that once a component of the system called the inverter detects that the grid is out, it will then not allow the power to go anywhere beyond the inverter. That being said, there are some equipment manufacturers that make stuff that you can take some uh, energy from there, but typically for most homeowners, it would not work. That's where battery storage systems can be helpful in those situations. But important for a homeowner, remember, if there's a solar PV system without a battery, it will not provide backup power in the event of an outage. So that's something then that they have to consider when obviously getting solar, and that's clearly going to be an an added cost, but you're saying that that technology exists so people can get that. 
Yeah, that te- technology has existed for, for quite a while with lead acid batteries. And now most people have heard of the newer lithium ion type uh, batteries or lithium based batteries. And they're out there now. People have heard of the Tesla Powerwall, Sonin makes them, Generac, several manufacturers are making them. It is a bit pricey to get started into it, but they're out there and they're being installed in homes a- as we speak. Going back to the, the solar lease and the power purchase agreements, obviously they are cheaper options, as Sarah was saying, because they're systems which are owned by third parties, clearly you still have to pay something. And again, that's going to be dependent on your individual circumstances. But the the thing I wanted to to pick up on is that there are some like credits and rebates available, whether you're actually a purchase owner or so like leasing. So could you just quickly explain a little bit about, you know, about that for us? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that the the lease or the power purchase agreements are are cheaper than a homeowner purchase per se. It's a different financing mechanism. The leases and power purchase agreements generally don't have an upfront cost. You're going to be paying for the system over the duration of the contract. Generally, they're 20 or 25 year agreements. So if it's a lease, you're going to be paying a, a monthly lease price. Usually that's a a fixed lease price, um, but there could be an escalator. And then with the power purchase agreement, you're agreeing to purchase the power per kilowatt hour that the system has produced during a given time period. But that can also potentially go up and down, can it not? Yep. um, Power purchase agreements can also have an escalator. And then what about these rebates and these tax credits? Just talk to us a little bit about that. So I think Bill and I will probably give the disclaimer that we're not tax advisors up front, (laughs) just to get that out of the way. But we can point you to uh, information on the federal tax credit, which is also located on Go Solar CT under the federal tax credit. That currently, and Bill, jump in if any of this is wrong, is 26% this year. Next year, it will dip down a little bit to, I believe, 22%. So not a huge dip. And then, of course, with any any tax credit, you do have to have enough tax appetite to monetize that. So that's something that homeowners could check out with their accountant ahead of time to see if it is something that they could qualify for ahead of time. And does the state give any sort of incentives at all, Bill? Yeah. So at the Connecticut Green Bank, we provide incentives for um, both the homeowner purchase or the third-party ownership model. The homeowner purchase is based on the system size. And typically, there's a lot of factors that go into determining the final amount, which your installer will facilitate for you. It usually equates to around 10%, but a lot of factors go into it. But in the world of 10% is is where our um, rebate kind of comes in for the homeownership model. And then the third party ownership is basically a monetary amount that's passed on to the third party owner of the system for a period of six years. And both of those are available through through us at the Connecticut Green Bank. Solar obviously makes sense. I know that there is a drive not only just here in Connecticut, but in many other states for people to try and, you know, use renewables or move away, you know, to a different way of maybe getting electricity or whatever for their home. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be right for everybody, is it? I'm glad you said that. And I really want homeowners to understand that it may not work out for everyone. And it's important to get several quotes if you are deciding to go down this route of entertaining solar for your home, because there'll be a lot of factors that go into it that are specific to your house. 
such as some of the things Sarah previously mentioned, the azimuth, the tilt, the amount of shading that is on your roof. Other factors that go that really can play into it is the age of your roof. Putting on a solar PV system that can last for 25 years or more may not be the best move for someone who has a, a roof that's near the end of its life expectancy. So you really want to do all that kind of homework with an installer at your home uh, and other considerations as far as electrical, the home electrical um, may not be up for it and they might have to do some modifications for the home electrical. So may not work for everyone, but it's good to entertain it and have an installer who's really experienced doing these systems walk you through what would be best for your home. And talking about these contractors, I mean, again, we always, you know, should be mindful about having people come to our homes and, and organizations, et cetera, and making sure that we, we are getting the best deal. We're not being duped by people. Are so like solar installers, are they sort of licensed in, in any way, a little bit like realtors so that, you know, people can have that bit of a reassurance? Yeah, absolutely. They, they are licensed to interconnect and, and do solar work in the state of Connecticut. You either need to hold uh, an E1, which a license, with a, which is a master electrician license, or a PV1, which is a photovoltaic license, at a minimum to be able to interconnect with the grid, uh, the utility, and to obtain any of our rebates as well. Furthermore, they have to pull permits for any aspects of the system that are being uh, brought into the home with their town or municipality. This is on your website on homeowners insurance. Can you just give us a little bit of clarity about what that means? In order to interconnect to the grid, and this is through the, the utility interconnection, you have to have a certain amount of homeowners insurance in order to be eligible to interconnect or to, to have your interconnection approval. Yeah, and I would just add to that, you'll need it for the utility for interconnection approval, as well as you'll want to make sure it is listed on your homeowner policy uh, in case anything does happen and make sure your individual insurance carrier is aware of it at, at the time of installation. And what final points do you have for people who might be considering solar? Because like I said, you know, there is this big push for us residents and business as well, certainly here in the state of Connecticut, as I say, to try and go a little bit greener and maybe look at renewables. I mean, solar certainly is one of those things that has been out there. But what sort of final closings, like points would you make to people if they're thinking about whether or not solar could be as like a direction they want to go in? From my perspective, solar can be a really great thing for homeowners in Connecticut. Of the few problems we see that happen, uh, it's usually down the road, and it's usually because homeowner uh, didn't really spend the extra time up front really researching how it will affect their home and, and what to expect from it. So if you spend the time up front, and I know it can be aggravating because it's you know time spent looking at stuff that can be a little difficult, I think it really helps them out in the long run. Well, Sarah Pine and Bill Colonis from Connecticut Green Bank, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Thank you for giving us a little bit more insight into, you know, the residential solar market. Obviously, it's a very interesting market. It's going to be for some people. It's not necessarily going to be for, for everyone. And that's something that I think we can take away from this conversation is, you know, just be a savvy solar shopper at the end of the day, ask lots of questions. And of course, the most important thing is having people like you available. And anyone listening, of course, can contact you, you can go to gosolarct.com, obviously, for unbiased information and advice, which of course, you know, when you're looking at something like this is so terribly important. But thank you both again for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thanks for having us. Thank you. To get another viewpoint on the subject of solar energy, I caught up with Josh Cardoza of Ascend Solar, a local Connecticut firm. 
and began by asking Josh what sorts of questions he gets asked when businesses or people are thinking about switching to solar. The biggest ones are, you know, how do I save? How does it work? Is it too good to be true? Those types of things. One of the things which has prompted this interview, not only with you, but just about the whole solar thing, is there seems to be a lot of advertising at the moment, flooding social media, things on Facebook. And I think people have become a little bit so like concerned, like, oh, that looks a little bit too good to be true. Why is there a lot of so like solar advertising at the moment? And the basic question is, is it too good to be true? It's definitely not too good to be true, in my opinion. But it is a competitive market because the offer to the homeowner is so good and they end up saving so much money and there is no cost to go down we literally put solar panels on the house first bill they get is 30 days after install so there's a lot of companies that got involved with it um, that is something different about my company we are uh, we, we do it differently but there are competitive about it because the deal is so good you know a lot of homeowners want to take advantage of it and that, as i was saying the other day was this the first time a homeowner has an advantage to make an option on how they power their home. You know, you don't pick your power company when you buy a house, they choose you. So now as a homeowner, you could choose how to power your home with another option with solar. And as long as your home has got a big enough roof to make all your power, you don't have to buy any power from the utility aside from a connection fee with net metering. Why is solar power so popular all of a sudden? I mean, it's obviously been around for a while, but I mean, you were saying it's become very popular. Word of mouth is actually getting out there now. So more and more people are searching for it. You know, for my, my business example, a lot of people contact me directly through the internet looking for solar. So I have my, a lot of my customers are going online and looking for a solar provider and that's how they're finding me. The utility is expensive and everyone knows it's going up. You know, everyone's getting electric cars nowadays. Every house is much smarter. You know, the demand on the grid, the grid was built after World War II. It just can't compete and keep up with the amount of power that we need as a nation. So that's why the real push behind the government is putting it out there. And that's why there's the federal 26% and state incentives, et cetera, to make it appetizing for a homeowner and give them an option to do it. The truth is our government wants you to go solar, you know, to make our grid and everything be able to be able to use it. Obviously, it's different for everybody, you know, depending on the size of your property, etc. But what would sort of like a ballpark price be for somebody if they were thinking of going solar? Tough question to answer because the azimuth of your house matters and how what relationship and all those good things come into play. And then the next question is, do you lease, do you purchase or do you do a power purchase agreement? Quickly, just to give you the info on those, a power purchase agreement means whatever you buy the power that your solar system makes, and you're going to buy it cheaper than you would buy it from the utility. The second one is a lease, where you literally lease the system for a rate set up for 20 years or 25 years, and that rate is going to go up annually, usually 2.4%, 2.9%, but it's going to be a rate lower than what you pay for electricity today. And then the other way to do it is to own it. And you can either write a check for it or do financing. There's a lot of finance company and finance options for it now. And p- purchasing becomes your best option where you save the most money because once you own it, you all the power that it makes is your power. So there's a reward after paying it off where the only bill you're going to have now is $10 a month to utility for the connection fee. Betting back to your original question, back to a ballpark price, I would say roughly thirty dollars to $60,000 with, with a net cost after all your incentives and rebates back is what it would be. But when they do the 25-year cost breakdown, most of my homes are saving between $40,000 and $80,000 over 25 years. So almost when you sit down with me and, and go over it, you know, you're really making a choice. Do I want to pay another $80,000 for electricity or do I want to take this option, put these panels on my roof and save a whole lot of money? The other thing as well to bear in mind when obviously thinking about solar is it's all great having this green energy uh, and, you know, potentially it's cheaper. But once the sun goes down or, you know, 
there's a, there's an issue. Um, unless you've got like battery backup, you're not really in that much of a better position, are you? Because you still don't have power if you don't like have a battery well, backup. So what's, just explain to us about that, because I think that's something that probably people don't understand about solar. Is I think they realize or they think as soon as I've got solar, well, I've got power for life and it doesn't matter. Right. Well, here in Connecticut, we have what is called net metering. So net metering means and obviously the sun stays out longer in the summer than it does the winter, etc. So we make up a bulk of energy in the spring, in the summertime that you actually withdraw from credits in the winter. For example, my solar system right now, I got 1,500, 2,000 kilowatt hours built up for my winter before winter even starts. And on a sunny day like today, I'm even making more. So, And then we guarantee my company, not every company, but we have a production guarantee. So if we say it's going to make 10,000 kilowatt hours annually, it has to make that or we're going to reward them financially and or reconfigure their system to get them there. So it is guaranteed to cover their power. But if they use more power, Eversource is there as a backup. It is a seamless thing. So if you didn't have solar for whatever reason, Eversource is there as a backup. You know, you're never going to run out of power out of your home. You're always going to have that seamless energy at your house. So there's no one's ever going to not have enough power. Worst case, you just buy some from Eversource if your solar system doesn't have enough power in your bank in the wintertime, etc. So just getting back to that for clarification then. So a standard solar installation won't come with a battery backup. That is something that you would have to pay for, and then that would give you that energy reserve. That's a separate Correct. thing, isn't it? Solar's been out for a couple of years now, about a good 10 years, and that's you know why it's so competitive now. Word of mouth is getting around. And batteries are just now getting very interesting where they can hold enough power to be viable. For example, my company just came out with a battery this summer, and there's some advantages to the battery as well where Eversource, the local utility for us will buy the power back so you could actually get money back. They'll go into your battery in the middle of a heat wave and they'll say up to 20 events a year and buy power back from that homeowner where they can get backed up to $1,300 a year for having that battery. And then if they do have a power outage, you know, that battery is there to power their home just like a generator would. And that's the real advantage of having a battery. They're different than us to California where California has a time of use billing where they have different rates at different times of day. So in California, if you have a battery, you might go into your battery at night and use your battery at night. We're here in Connecticut because we have the net metering. The battery right now really just makes sense for the power outages. But Eversource does plan to change how they do their power, and the net metering is slated to go away. So Eversource is obviously losing money. If a home gets 100% of their power from their solar system, Eversource is only getting $10 a month from that home, and obviously a big, big monopoly like that doesn't want to lose their money. So they are changing the laws down the road, and what they want to do is basically buy the power for one unit, and then you buy power from them for another, and then they'll buy it from you, and then eventually the cost of power will go up, and you'll be buying power from the utility again. So when net metering goes away, you know, in my opinion, net metering is the best option for solar. Talk to us a little bit about the technology, because although solar panels have become more efficient over time, really sort of the general design when you look at somebody's property, that doesn't seem to have changed that much. I mean, they're these big sort of like square or sort of like rectangular yeah. um, things, and, and they're not unsightly, but I mean, they're quite big. So is the technology improving and, and us and our new things coming through? Because we keep hearing things about, you know, possibly roof tiles, which have got integrated. Those are next. So just talk to us a little bit about the technology. Yeah. So. You know, four, four or five years ago, most solar panels were between 150 watts and 250 watts. For example, my company now has up to a 400 watt, and most of my competitors are in that 350 range. And that's the side, the watt, when we say a watt, that's how much power the solar panel makes. So if a panel does get 100% of your power now, if something greater does come out down the road, you're getting what you need with what you have. There's no need for something else. So being scared of the technology, something greater coming out down the road doesn't necessarily matter because it is meeting your needs 
by making all your power. They are getting more efficient. You know, I've been in the business a couple of years now, and you know, my most efficient panel when I started was a 360, and now we're up to 420. And I've seen that happen in just a few years. And then as far as batteries coming out, that's going to be your real next big thing. You know, the batteries are going to get bigger, and you're going to see a change to the solar industry over the next couple of years on how they do the billing, on how things happen. And that's where you see some changes happening into the future. You buy a generator that can, as a backup, of course, can either do, you know, so much of your house or if you've got a big enough one, it can do whole house. I mean, is that so like similar with solar? Would you ever so like go for a solar system that maybe is just doing a certain amount of your electricity or or is that defeating the point of it? No, because if I run into a lot of houses, you know, smaller raised ranches and they can only get maybe 50 percent of their power. It still makes sense in my mind because you'd be buying 50 percent of your power between 15 cents, 16 cents, 20 cents. And you literally get to lock in that rate for 25 years years so you're gonna have savings even if you had to buy half your power at a cheaper rate than what you're buying you know from eversource or your local utility um it still makes a little more sense again because there's no cost for us to engineer it design it put it on your home and just pay a bill going forward the local utility on has just been going up four percent on average for the last you know 30 years and it's predicted to go up even more over time. So the nice thing about going solar is you really are taking control of your electricity. You know what your bill price is going to be, and you can budget, you can plan. Most people don't know how much more they're going to pay for electricity in August and July. They just know they're going to pay more because of the air conditioners on, etc. So being able to target that and know exactly what you're going to get, especially as you know we get into our older years and you're budgeted and you get into retirement and you're on a fixed income, it'd be nice to know exactly what you're going to pay for your bills. Josh Cardoza of Ascend Solar, thanks ever so much for the interview. No problem. It's been fun. My name is Dr. Tony Fauci here at the National Institutes of Health. If you've recovered from COVID-19, your plasma has antibodies that may help others fight COVID. Please donate plasma now. You can literally save lives. There are thousands of locations across the country where you can donate. Find the site to donate your plasma at coronavirus.gov. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at taxpayer expense. Tree damage caused by high winds, hurricanes, or stormy weather? Green Valley Tree has you covered. We offer emergency storm service for residential, commercial, and even municipalities. From full removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken and fractured limbs, no job too big or small. If you need immediate emergency service outside our regular business hours, call our emergency hotline at 860-966-5710 and visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for details of our other services. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. There are more than 200,000 military veterans in Connecticut and a new guidance tool aims to make it easier for them to access health care through the VA. Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service reports. AARP's Veterans and Military Families Health Benefits Navigator. It's a user-friendly document that explains qualifications for certain health benefits and how to start the application process. Only 26% of Connecticut veterans have used their health care benefits through the VA, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Nora Duncan of AARP Connecticut says the application process often can be confusing and frustrating, which can keep many veterans from accessing their benefits. 
we need to help get that information out there. If they're not accessing care because they don't know that it's available to them, the guide really talks about that navigation of the application process, which I hope helps people understand that they have more they can get and to you know, live healthier, happier lives here in Connecticut. The Navigator also provides information on how to get assistance applying for benefits with the help of a veteran service organization. According to a RAND study, nearly 60% of veterans are eligible for VA health care, but less than half of those eligible utilize their benefits. I'm Emily Scott. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, according to the nonpartisan School and State Finance Project, in 2018 and 2019, Connecticut schools in which 75% or more of the students are students of color spent an average of $2,300 less per pupil when compared with districts in which more than 75% of the student population is white. In the day this week, the town of Groton and the developer seeking to redevelop the vacant state-owned Mystic Oral School site are poised to move to formal mediation after failing to reach a resolution during informal negotiations. Groton Town Manager John Burt said the town's attorney sent a letter to developer Jeffrey Respler, the principal of Respler Homes, and his attorney to move the town to the formal non-binding mediation phase per the development agreement. This step was taken after the failure to achieve satisfactory results through the informal mediation process, Burt wrote. The request for a relief is termination of the development agreement and or applicable contractual or legal equitable relief. Respler Homes has proposed a mixed-use development that calls for a commercial component in the main Mystic Oral School building, as well as housing, but the Planning and Zoning Commission has said it is not interested in a development of that scale. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.